Psalm 32, and Psalm 51. And basically tonight we'll be looking at the 51st Psalm. And I'd like to read the first six verses, or the first five verses of the 32nd Psalm. And just mention that these two go together. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 describe the same experience in this man's life. David, a man after God's own heart, has failed and become unuseful in God's service. Psalm 32, he tells us really what was happening in his life while he was away from the Lord. Psalm 51 is the record of his confession when he came back to the Lord and became useful again. Psalm 32, beginning in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, now get the picture, David is going to tell us about the time he refused to confess his sin. You Bible students know the story well, how that David committed sin with Bathsheba, tried to cover his sin, and how long, we're not sure, but some Bible students tells us over a year, maybe a year and a half, and while he had that sin covered and would not confess it, when I kept silence, he tells us, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David has been called in the Scripture the sweet singer of Israel. David was a man with a song, but at this time he's not singing. He's roaring. The word describes a condition of anguish. His song is gone. And so David said, while I was silent, there was a roar, not a song. There was a complaining all the day long. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. David's telling us he was under pressure. He was depressed. No more freedom in his life. Day and night, he said, is like a heavy hand, like a vice pressing him down. My moisture's turned into the drought of summer. His life was very dry at this particular time. Selah. He tells us, just think of it. Verse 6 or 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I'll confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Now in Psalm 51, he goes in detail about his confession. He tells us in that last verse there that he confessed. He ceased to cover his sin, and he opened up to God. And God had him to write it down here. Here's what he said to God, Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love and kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And I forget what he's saying. You see, David had kept up, kept up an outward profession, but he wasn't real inwardly. And he's saying to God, Lord, you're not interested in that outward performance I've been going through. You see, that year and a half when David wouldn't confess, he didn't quit church. 
He didn't quit his worship. He's going through his routine, but he's saying here, talking to God, thou desirest truth, that is reality is what the word there means, in the inward parts, on the inside where God's interested in, whether we're real inwardly or not. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There's where his problem was, in his heart, in his attitude, in his spirit. And he's saying to God in his prayer, Lord, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. Shall we bow for a moment of prayer? Our Father, we pray now that you'll come in power and speak to us from your word. We're grateful for the privilege of gathering together with your people. And you promised where two or three are gathered together in your name, you'd be in the midst. We ask tonight that you'd manifest your presence. We pray for the Spirit of God to come and take the Word of God and speak to us in power. We love you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to call to our attention tonight verses 11, 12, and 13. Message will be a little bit different than some that you've been hearing, especially on the weekend. I'd like tonight, if you have a pen and a paper there, maybe just to jot down some things in a moment that God's placed on my heart to share this evening. Look, if you would, please, in the 13th verse. David talking to God. He says this, Then... Will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now you may want to note the word then. David's implying that after something happens, after God does something for him that he was asking God to do in verse 12, he said, then I can be useful in your service again. He's saying I'll be a soul winner again. Sinners will get converted. Then I can teach people the right way. I'll teach transgressors thy way. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now, the implication is not until then. Something's got to happen first before David can be useful again in God's service. Then, he said in verse 12, he asked God to give him his joy back. Verse number 11, he asked God to give him his presence back. Verse 10, he asked God to do something within him. Clean him up on the inside. Give him a right spirit again. 
David, you recall, had committed three of the worst sins that any person could commit. David's guilty of the scarlet sin of adultery. David was guilty of lying. David was even guilty of murder. Though David never touched the man himself, but he understood that God had him charged with murder. He said in this verse, he said, Lord, he talked about blood guiltness. He was guilty of the blood of another. David knew God judged the intent of a man's heart. The man was killed in war, but David's the one put him in the position and told the, the commander there to keep him in that position until he's destroyed. David intended to kill Uriah. And God sent a preacher to him and told him, said, this thing has displeased me. You know the story well. It's a sad story. It's a sordid story, but it's a story God placed in the book for us to learn from. And so here's a man so useful of God wrote most of the Psalms, a great leader, even as a lad, you recall well how he slew the, the giant. God's hand's been wonderfully upon him, but there came a time in his life when he lost the hand of God, lost the touch of God, lost the blessing of God, and he ceased to be useful. I want to speak a little while tonight on this subject, some steps to a useful life some steps, some principles to a useful life. I won't go in a lot of detail other than just mention some, I guess it's probably 15 years ago. I heard a preacher preach giving sort of a testimonial message. I'd read his books. He's in heaven now. In fact, I'll mention his name, Dr. A.W. Tozer. You have his books, you're well aware that that man can take a pen and under the, I think, as the Lord guided him in his writing, I'm not saying he was inspired like the Bible writers, but he had a touch of God on him. And he could so put stuff down to just reach into your heart. First time I ever read one of his books, it put me under such conviction. Made me want to cry out to God and say, Oh God, I want to be clean and pure. Had the opportunity to hear him preach. He was an older preacher there. Spoke with such power. Spoke with such conviction. Spoke with such obvious hand of God upon him. And then I heard him give seven steps to a useful life. I never forgot it. I want to just give you those statements that older man of God said, if we'd follow, God would put his hand on you and use you for his glory. I read this scripture tonight just to point out that it's possible for a person to lose the touch of God and cease to be useful. I've rearranged what he had to say and sort of put it in a fashion that I could use myself. And I want to give you seven principles. I'm not going to preach them because uh, they don't need to be preached, just simply mentioned. We won't take a lot of time, so if you want to put them down tonight, I trust that you will. I'll, uh, I'll begin each statement, each one of them, with the word never. And the first one is this. Never tolerate sin. Never tolerate sin. Dr. Tozer says, always deal thoroughly with sin. I mean, never excuse it. Never take up for it. Never call it by another name. Always deal thoroughly with sin and any form of sin, whether it's the sin of the spirit, sin of the flesh, the attitude, whatever. Never tolerate sin. We have a way of excusing we have a, have a way sometime of changing the label. 
Sometimes we're guilty of saying, Lord, forgive my mistake. Forgive my shortcomings. But you'll never find them. You turn like that in the Bible. God doesn't forgive shortcomings. He only forgives sin. Jesus died for sin. And a lot of times we won't call it by its right name. And until we come to the place that we're open and honest and sincere and say, Lord, I've sinned, and just deal drastically with it and be specific about it, call it by its right name, we then can come into that place where God can put his hand on it and begin to bless it. Without calling in names, I was in a meeting some time ago and a man won't talk to me after service. He said, Brother Hurd, I want to be used of God. He said, this week God has created a new interest in my heart. He said, I'm a preacher, you know. And I've lost the hand of God off of my ministry and off of my life. And he said, I want to be used. And I gave these steps in a morning service. He said, I put them there. He said, under God, I think that those last six you mentioned, but he said, the, the, the first one is the one that really took hold of my heart. He opened his heart and I commend him for it. He was honest as could be. He told something that was not easy for him to tell. He said, what's your suggestion? I love you and you love me. He said, don't spare my feelings. And I said, my brother, without being unkind, you're calling it by its wrong name. Not a weakness. It was a wickedness. It was sin. And that brother, and some of you think I'm being unkind. I wasn't hard. I said it with, with, with tenderness in my voice. If, 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 I, if I know my heart in that respect, but I said, brother, when you call it by its right name, and God, what he calls sin, we must call sin. Bible said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from A-double-L, all unrighteousness. The word confess doesn't mean just to admit we've done wrong. The word confess there is a, is a term that's used in a court term, just like when the judge or the prosecuting attorney presents that case, and then when the person turns and as, as the person's been indicted, if that person says, I'm guilty, they agreed with the indictment. And that's exactly what it means to confess. Not just to admit. It means to agree with God's indictment. God says, I've sinned. And when I say, God, that's the truth, I've sinned. It was sin. You know what he'll do then? If I'll ask him to and trust him, he'll forgive me. It ought to be immediate. It ought to be, it ought to be thorough. It ought to be specific. I think we ought to say, Lord, I've gossiped. Lord, I've slandered. Lord, I've lied. Lord, I've cheated. Lord, I lost my temper. I mean, Lord, it was sin. And they just something about being honest. How many hundreds got saved? But he said he preached for three weeks without giving invitation. He said, I preached three solid weeks to Christians. He said, you'll never have revival and sinners get saved till we Christians get right with God. And preached three solid weeks without even giving invitation. Just preached and said, go home. Come back the next night, preach again, and say, go home. And he said when sinners got to crying out the third week, one in the back of the building, when he thought he was going to dismiss, a sinner stood up and said, Mr. Jones, could I get saved? He said, I think we're ready now, come on. And he said over a hundred got saved that, that night. But he said there was a dear sister, he called her, said she came forward one night and said, uh, God spoke to me in your sermon. He was preaching on the sins of the saints. And uh, he said, well, are you aware that God will forgive your sins? She says, yes, but I, I feel I'm guilty. But said, really, the, my problem is, Mr. Jones, I don't really know what the sin is. 
Oh, he said, you feel you've sinned, but you don't know what your sin is. She said, I don't quite know what it is. Mr. Jones said, and in a way that he could, could tell it was a little humorous, he said, I asked the dear sister to kneel at the altar. I knelt with her. And I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you three guesses to guess what your problem is. He said she guessed it the first time. Well, most of us can, amen? Most of us don't need three. We'd waste the last two. Most of us, if we're honest before God, I'm talking now to people that wants to be useful. Now, if we don't care whether God uses or not, I mean, this is just another sermon, just hoping it'll be over in a few minutes. But if a person has got a desire for the hand of God, the power of God, revival and be useful to God, we must deal thoroughly with sin in every form. Not take up for any of it. What some people call secret sin. Did you know so-called secret sins on earth is an open scandal in heaven? And all heaven can see what some people think they've got covered down here? Quite a thought. Secret sins, sins of omission, sins of commission, sins of the spirit, sins of the attitude. We must deal thoroughly with sin. Incidentally, this same preacher, you know how he said he had what he called a sin list. And when he would meet people, sometimes he would say this to them, is your sin list up to date? And they would say to him, you know, if they wasn't aware of his approach, what do you mean by that? And he said every day of his life, talking about these principles, he'd go along with God, he'd have a blank sheet of paper, and after getting in God's presence, he'd say, Lord, speak to me about something that's displeasing you. And he said as the Holy Ghost would make impressions, he'd write her down. Write her down. And said on a daily basis. And said sometimes, he said, I'd say to God, Lord, thou art light, and would you shine your blessed presence within me? And said sometimes I would see an attitude I've had that I wouldn't even worry it was sinful. Sometimes he would show me a spirit that I'd had towards someone, maybe a hateful, bitter uh, a spirit, or maybe I'd act unbecoming a Christian. Maybe my attitude wasn't right. And he said more often, he would show me, even in my home where I'm treated the best, sometimes I'd act the worst. The late Dr. John R. Rice said, in the home where we're treated best is where most of the time we act the worst. And that's true of all of us. If we're not careful where the, the ties are the tenderest and the family ties, if we're not careful, we'll take liberties with each other and snap at people, be short with those we love, and we'll go outside to a total stranger and be kinder to a stranger than we will our companion or some of our children, those that's closest to us. If we're not careful, sometimes as a family, we need to get on our face and say, Oh, my God. Help me with my short temper. Help me with my attitude. Help me with these hasty, harsh words. I'm saying tonight to be used of God, we must never tolerate sin. Number two. Now some of these is going to throw a little curve at first, so you stay with me. Please don't turn me off. A couple of them you won't understand for a minute. And uh, so stay with me. The second one is this. Never pass on anything about another that'll hurt him. Never pass on anything about anyone else that'll hurt that person. I mean by that, passing information with an intent to put a person down. 
You know of someone's weakness or someone's fault. Some, I'm talking about the family of God now. Never pass on anything about another that'll hurt him. You may want to put this verse down, Galatians 6 and verses 1 and 2. Brethren, Paul speaking to Christians. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, the word for fault is, for, is a word for sin. Ye which are spiritual, if you consider yourself to be spiritual, he's got some responsibility for you tonight. Spiritual person in Paul's uh, definition here is one who is controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, one who wants to serve God, one that's Spirit-filled. People that will come to a Bible study and prayer meeting on Thursday night are people obviously that's sincere and wants God to use them, so he's talking to us. So he says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, the implication is that someone has sinned and you know about it. Someone has, 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 has actually blown it, if you please. Someone has actually fallen and you're aware of their fall. What are we to do? You know what, you know what we're prone to do? Instead of restoring that one, you know what all of us are prone to do? Every one of us, you know what I'm putting myself in, in the picture tonight? You know what every one of us are prone to do quickly? is to judge that person. When someone is overtaken in a sin, instead of us doing what this tells us to do, to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I repeat, if we're not careful, we're tempted quickly to judge someone when we hear of their fall. You know what God says? God said, don't, don't slander them, don't pass on Information will hurt them to someone else. God says you restore, and the word restore is a surgical term. It's a picture of the surgeon taking a bone that's out of place, out of joint, and tenderly and carefully he begins with his skill to place that bone back in its place. And a member of the body of Jesus Christ, he's the head, we're members of his body, and what Paul is picturing is a member of his body is out of joint. They are not acting, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not acting properly and they're, they've malfunctioned, if you please, and they've fallen. You know what we tend to do? I repeat, we tend to step on them. We tend to pass on information about them if we're not careful. That's going to sometime, and after it's passed around a little bit, if we're not careful, that information is distorted, and someone that's down, they're just beaten further down. I sat up in Canada last week in, 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 the, in the church where I was preaching Brother Harjo's place, I said the average church that I know anything about, if we could just get people that's fallen, get them restored, we'd have to build new buildings to hold the people that if we could just restore God's people. What are we to do if God's going to use us? Number one, never tolerate sin. Now I'm not talking about a sinless life. None of us are sinless. We are sinners. But when you're aware of sin, don't take up for it. Don't excuse it. Don't blame anyone else. Just treat it as sin. Number two, never pass on anything about another that'll hurt him. Number three, this one is one sometimes that's misunderstood. And I use the word to preface it again. Never defend yourself. Never defend yourself. Someone said, that's a big order. Well, stay with me for just a moment. I was misunderstood in another state not long ago, and 
They thought I belonged to this crowd that wants to disarm us, and they thought I belonged to that crowd, you know, that's uh, out of marching today, that's uh, uh, something un-American about them as far as I'm concerned, amen? And so I'm not, uh, I'm for protecting our country, I'm for protecting our family, and God gives us that right. So when I say never defend yourself, I'm not talking about that. You say, then preacher, what do you mean? I mean this, never defend yourself in the sense of guarding your reputation and fighting back. Are you listening? I know people that God took his hand off and people have said to me around over this country, I lost the hand of God, someone slandered me and I took off after I got a hold of a verse you may want to put down, Exodus 23, 23, And God's talking to Moses and a man whom God wonderfully used. And you know what he said to Moses? He said, thy enemies shall be my enemies. You know what he was saying? Moses, you don't have to fight your own battle. Moses, you don't have to answer everybody slandering you. Moses, if somebody gets after you, that enemy, if he becomes your enemy, Moses, he'll be my enemy. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I mean, if you ever set out to be used of God, you just well put it down. Somebody will let you have it, just sure as the world. Somebody will take a shot at you. Somebody will misrepresent you. Somebody will slander you. I got a call just, well, there's no sense we go in detail. I got a call, I mean, since I've been your preacher. This time. And uh, <laughs> I don't know the source of it. And I treat those, you know, those kind of phone calls like I do those letters that folks don't sign their name to. And, uh, but, uh, said something to the fact, I, I can't believe, you know, if what I've heard, <laughs> it wouldn't hang on long enough, but I felt like I was going to, you didn't hear the half, amen. And people say to me sometimes, but what will my friends think? Your friends don't need an explanation. And your enemies wouldn't believe you anyway. Amen. Amen. So don't waste your time answering a lot of critics. If you're not careful, it'll mess up your spirit. People come to me sometimes and say, Brother Hurt, and I'm no small when I say this, and there may be someone in the building that I said something to, and I checked myself and said, I'm not, I don't mean to be sharp. But I simply said, when, I, when someone was about to tell me that someone else had put me down, I said, hey, I don't need that. Man, that'll just, that'll just be, be another inroad. The devil, I'll have to pray more over there. And, uh, and I'm not smart when I said that. But really, I mean, if you're going to be used of God, somebody's going to start. I mean, there'll be open season on you. I don't often call personalities by name the pulpit. I never did when I was an evangelist, but I'm the preacher, amen? I'm a pastor now, so uh, I'm going to, and I'm among friends tonight, amen? You're my people. So I, I sometimes wouldn't call personalities on the road because some of their enemies may be there, you know, and run me off. But uh, there's a man in the forefront in our country, and, and I'm not necessarily preaching a personality, but I happen to respect him, appreciate him, pray for him regular, and try to support his ministry. It's Dr. Jeff Falwell. One of the things that I admire about that man, and I was in a meeting where he was personally being interviewed. When someone said, how can you take all of this this, I mean, he said, everybody's shooting at you. Some of, the, some of his own camp shooting at him. He said, how do you take it? With that characteristic smile. He said, I had an agreement with God way back there that I'd never fight back. 
He said, I'm too busy to fight back. He said, if they can get you to come down off of the wall and start answering their insinuations and trying to defend yourself, right then your work will stop. And there's something about if you'll keep a Christ-like attitude when people get after you, God will bless you because they're shooting at you. He says, great will be your reward in heaven. One preacher, if I called his name, I loved him and he loved me. He's an older preacher, much older preacher now. He's in heaven now. He said to me one day, and I, I said back to him, and his precious wife standing there by him. I said something to him about like I'm preaching now. And he said to me, Brother Hurd, you don't think God expects us to let people use us, do you? And I quoted him on the Beatitudes. Jesus himself said, Blessed are you when people despitefully use you for my sake. He said, you'll be a blessed person if you just let me go ahead and handle it, he said. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Now, I said this is a big order. We have to be prayed up to do that. Somebody called and somebody said, hey, you know what they said about you? You know what I want to do? <laughs> same thing you do, amen. We're all made out of the same. I mean, I, we want to go get a 38. And we say, blah, blah. And we want to say, if somebody slandered us, we want to say right back, hey, I know something about them. You know what we just did? Just removed ourselves from a position. God can use us. I used to say in my former pastorate, I, I'd say to our leaders especially, hey, if they shoot at us and they did, if they cuss us and they did, and if they slander us and they did, I said to our deacons and our associates, I said, pray that God will help you. Never fight back. You know why? If we sit in the sea of the scornful, we'll never prosper. The moment you and I become the scorner and start slandering and fighting back and putting down, the Holy Spirit of God says right then, I can't meet with you. And did you know it's people that God anoints and it's people that God uses? It's not buildings and programs. It's people that God anoints. And it's a people that will deal thoroughly with sin. It's a people that will not pass on things about other people that will hurt them. And it's people that will set out not to defend themselves. And I said I could be misunderstood. Please don't go away tonight and say, Brother Hurts against uh, for the disarmament pro. I am not. I'm an American. And I'd put a uniform on and go in defense of our country in a moment.